Hey, what's up, guys? One of the Nation's Podcast. My name is Solomon Elite at Solomon NBA on Twitter. Before we get to the actual podcast, I actually want to thank everyone that tuned in to the live show last week. Uh, that was a lot of fun. It went on a little long. Next time, we'll try to keep it shorter if we do do a next one. But I did enjoy uh, the interaction with all the fans before. I've never talked to so many Rockets fans all at once. It was crazy. It was it was really fun. Uh, I enjoyed uh, taking everyone's questions. I enjoyed that there was so much participation in the show. Like I've never done a show with so much participation because I obviously I've never done anything live before. So that part really intrigued me. Uh, Adam really helped me help carry the whole thing because he was really uh, the one keeping us on track with the listener questions. So obviously a uh, shout out to Adam Spolane for keeping us up with the rest of the show. And really like I, uh, if you guys want to do that again, let me know because obviously I'd love to do it. Uh, and surprisingly the podcast received a lot of love as well. Like the podcast got a ton of downloads and you would think that because there was a live show that people who were doing the live show didn't tune into the podcast. But as it turns out, there was some overlap and you know, like even more so, like the podcast was more popular than it normally is. So I'm I'm happy about that. Uh, two again, two and a half hours is a lot of work. It really made me appreciate the people who do spaces on a regular basis. Like there's a Twitter space pretty much every night for every fan base in the NBA, and they go on for hours. And like uh, you think about like how long they're on there, and you don't. It doesn't really click how much work it takes or how exhausting it may be for the host to be on there for that long and be on, like be on it mentally for that long. Gave me a whole new appreciation for it. It's kind of like radio. Like it really does remind me of of people who do radio shows for three hours every day. Like that, that to me, I've always considered that to be an extremely difficult job. And this almost feels similar except there are no breaks right there are no commercial breaks for you to catch your breath and move on to the next segment whereas with the radio show there obviously are those scheduled commercial breaks so i enjoyed it it was really difficult but i did have fun and we'll we'll see if we can do it again we'll see if we can do it again If, if it's popular again uh we'll do it it just can't make it a regular thing because again it is exhausting for me i it is very difficult for me to talk for long and extended periods of time it really is. It th- that's something that I don't know if people know that about me. Like I'm an introvert, so it's really it, it takes a lot of energy for, out of me to talk. I, in general, if you meet me in person, I'm a someone who prefers not to talk. I like keeping it very uh, closed in and to myself because it, it it drains me. It does. It drains me to talk for a long time, and even talking on the podcast took me a while to get used to. And the live shows are just another level because you're again you're talking and trying to keep things on track for hours at a time. So yeah, that is something we'll try to do in the future if people want it. So I do want to ask you guys, if you did enjoy the live stream, if you do enjoy this podcast, please complete the survey that I have pinned on the Red Nation Hoops Twitter account, right? So if if you guys enjoy the show, if you guys enjoy what I do, Please go fill out that survey. It takes like two minutes to complete. I think the average completion time was like a minute and a half. So it really does not take that long to complete. And if you're a long-time listener of this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes, right? So these are just things, little ways you can help this little dumb show continue. And I really appreciate that. Uh, again, in general, I, I'm, we, I should probably spend more time appreciating all you guys for spending time you know, out of your commute out of your workout, out of whatever the hell you're doing right now where you're listening to the show, to listen to the show. I, I do appreciate that you guys listen to the show as much as you guys do. Um, So today we are going to be talking about 
the Rockets trade deadline and more generally how the front office is operating through this rebuild, I had a very specific guest in mind. It's Super Bowl Sunday, so I kind of figured that this guest would not be available. And before I even went to the backups, I was like, you know what? I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it with another backup. I'm just going to do it by myself if I can't get the specific guest on. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to do the show by myself. And I'm going to try to keep this very casual, very short, because again, I can't talk for very long. So I think if I had to pick one word to describe Houston's trade deadline, it would be underwhelming. It was underwhelming. Because if you really think about it, what they did was acquire no no draft picks, no young players, and admitted a mistake that they made in the offseason. That's what they did. That's exactly what they did. They didn't do anything other than dump Daniel Tice's contract. And really, if you, th- if you think about what rebuilding is supposed to be, trade deadlines are the m- some of the most important times of the year for a rebuilding team. It's one of the few times that the league is active, that everyone's talking to each other, that everybody wants to make deals. It's mutually beneficial to make deals. And... This year's deadline was one of the craziest deadlines in NBA history. Maybe the craziest trade deadline in NBA history when you think about the names that were dealt. So I would say there was definitely a lot of room for Houston to butt in and get active and get some, come out of it with something, and they didn't. They didn't. Now, a couple things. First of all, the market is the market, right? If there wasn't a first-round pick out there for Eric Gordon, then there's really not much that Houston could do, right? There's really not much that Houston could do to force a team to give them a first-round pick. I probably overestimated the the value, the market value of Eric Gordon. Uh, I'm eating eating a lot of humble pie here. I've been saying since the summer that I thought Eric Gordon would net Houston a first-round pick. I thought that Eric Gordon was, first of all, one of the best role players in the NBA, I thought his contract was fair market value. I thought, um, you know, people were drastically underrating him. And I thought by the time the trade deadline approaches, uh, it's going to be a no-brainer for a team to trade a first-round pick for Eric Gordon. That didn't end up being the case. There is the question as to whether or not Houston was offered a first-round pick and they declined it. That's very possible until there is concrete reporting on that. I'm just going to assume that it wasn't out there for them. Let's just assume that they were offered uh, what everyone else was offered for these role players, which was like second round picks. That was That's the going rate for good role players nowadays. It seems like the, the NBA has gotten more stingy with first round picks. It seems like the market is only willing to part with first round picks uh, for star players or borderline stars. And if you're anything below that, you're probably going to be dealt two second round picks seems like the going rate and uh you know we can talk about whether or not uh, i think that's the right thing to do if you're a contention contending team at the end of the day it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what i think it matters what's happening and what's happening is the league did not view eric gordon as a no-brainer for a first round pick and i think if you look at what the market was should houston have dealt him the real question is, should Houston have dealt him for two second round picks? That was kind of what I perceived to be the floor value for Eric Gordon. And it turns out that might have been the median range of outcomes for Eric Gordon, right? 
the way I perceived it was floor value, two second round picks, mid value, late first round pick, uh, high end value, uh, lottery pick slash multiple late first round picks. As as it turns out, it's actually floor value, like nothing, <laughs> like maybe one first, one second round pick, median range of outcomes, uh, two second round picks, um, high end outcome, late first round pick. Seems like that was what the market was for Eric Gordon. So I'm gonna eat some humble pie on that. I was wrong about it. I was wrong. The the market did not view Eric Gordon as a no brainer for a first round pick. If we do come to find out that they were offered a first round pick and turned it down, I think they deserve every bit of criticism that comes their way. But we're getting off topic. The point I was trying to make is what if they were offered two second round picks? Was it the right move for Houston to turn that down and say, Hey, we believe we can get those offers at the offseason or the next trade deadline. Well, it really depends on what they get for Eric Gordon, right? Like, if they if they can get that uh, in the offseason, if they can get that at next year's trade deadline, then, yeah, they were right to keep him because those offers would have been there anyways. Um, if, they, if it turns out that those offers aren't there, then they were wrong. Like, they, were, they, should, have, they should have dealt him. They should have dealt him now. Now... I think this idea that they can get a first-round pick now, I think that's out the window. I, I, I'm willing to be wrong about that, but I, I, I think that's out the window. I don't think they're getting a first-round pick anymore. If they're if they're even offered a late first, I don't think that's going to be there. Um, come the draft, come free agency, whatever. That's, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, 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 would, I would guess that that's not going to be the case. I guess my question is, is it worth the risk to find out if he's actually going to get those offers in the summer or... Next trade deadline? I would probably say no. If you believe those offers are going to be there, just take them now. Take them now. Like, why risk it? Like, this idea that you're going to bluff with these general managers. Like, first of all, like, I'm, listen, like, there's, this is a lot of speculation, but it seems like Houston, this front office, does a lot of bluffing. Viewing things on the peripheries, it seems like they tell teams a lot of things and they end up having to accept less than market value or no market value for players, right? And that gets into my next subject, which is how this front office is operated under new general manager Rafael Stone in terms of asset management. Because I think this is a weakness of uh, general manager Rafael Stone. I think, you know, Rafael Stone seems to have uh, some a lot of strengths. Uh, namely, I think... Finding undervalued talent is probably his greatest strength. I mean, everybody that's good that is on the roster is pretty was pretty much found through being an undervalued t- talent, right? They were undervalued by the rest of the market, and they signed slash drafted them um, for less than they should have been drafted slash signed, right? Like Josh Christopher, uh, thought to be a second round pick, turns out probably should have been a top twenty pick. They took him twenty four, undervalued talent. KJ Martin, uh, many people thought he shouldn't have been drafted. They took him 52nd in the draft. Turns out he should have been drafted. <laughs> Undervalued talent. Alperen Shengun. Now, this was someone I thought shouldn't have been undervalued, but was. You know, he, people thought he was not worth being taken in the lottery, uh, even though it was clear that he, he had lottery talent. And they traded two first-round picks for him. And ter- that seems like fair market value right now it, it could, could end up being a steal 
Um, so I would say the Shangun trade was an example of Shangun being under market value. Jay Sean Tate, uh, the market undervalued him. He was in Australia, uh, you know, balling out, um, and the Rockets were able to sign him for a bargain basement deal under market value. So they they're pretty good at finding these kind of players. That's his strength. His weakness, and I think the best way to look at this through line is the James Harden trade. His weakness is asset management. Let's start with the Harden trade, right? His most the most valuable asset he's ever held. 31-year-old James Harden. So James Harden was dealt for Victor Oladipo and a crap load of first-round picks and first-round pick swaps. And Houston could have gotten him for Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and a crap load of first-round picks and first-round pick swaps. They opted to take Oladipo instead. And I would say that LeVert was... Trading Levert away was a mistake. Uh, now, at the time, and I still believe so, that they were not wrong in letting Jared Allen walk away because that the contract that he received this summer is something I would be uncomfortable paying because, first of all, if you're Houston, it's going to take you out of free agency in 2023, and he's just not good enough to be paying him that much as a rebuilding team. He's not a star. He's very good, very, very good player, not star. So I would not have traded for Jared Allen. I think the questionable move there was, and I said it at the time, I understood their reasoning. And I still understood their reasoning at the time, right? Like a lot of these trades, like you understand their reasoning at the time. You understand their reasoning at the time. You understand their reasoning at the time. But at the, at the end of the day, add them all together and what has that gotten you? Yeah, you've made a bunch of defensible moves, but it's not gotten you anything. You're still managing the assets prop, like poorly. So I understood that what they were going for with Oladipo is that he may be more valuable than Karis LeVert and that you may be able to trade Oladipo later on for more, you know, than um, what Karis LeVert may be able to, may be able to get. But you, they were wrong. Karis LeVert got you what appears to be basically two first-round picks because that second-round pick is essentially a first with how high it is, right? They took Houston's second-round pick, uh, which is going to be in the, in the early 30s. And they got a first-round pick back from the Cavs. So they basically got two first-round picks back for Karis LeVert. That's two first-round picks that Houston could have right now. And they chose to take Oladipo back. Fair enough. You know what? Those picks are the main character in that trade. Let's say we give them a pass for that. Let's fast-forward to how they recover from that. Okay, well, now you have Victor Oladipo. So one would assume this is a good time to trade him for whatever you can get, whatever you can get at the trade deadline. This is last year's trade deadline. So what Houston did was they traded him for Kelly Olynyk, good player, pretty good player, and a pick swap from Miami that they attached to the Brooklyn pick. So Houston would get the more valuable of Miami or Brooklyn picks, a more of Brooklyn's pick. So let's start with Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk's pretty good, you know. I I I think. Um, if they had, pl- if the plan was to keep him that summer, um, to a long-term deal, then that is a good asset to pick up for Oladipo. And the problem is, they decide to let Kelly Olynyk walk to Detroit 
and chose Daniel Tice instead. That was a mistake because obviously they did, Daniel Tice just got dumped. And Kelly Olenek could have been had for a reasonable deal that was more expensive than Daniel Tice granted, but a reasonable deal and a better player than Daniel Tice. And they decided to let, let him walk. So uh, that, that part was a mistake. Not mistake number one. Mistake number two was the swap. Now, at the time, I, I thought this was reasonable too. Again, when you look at all, all the big picture, uh, when you look at all these individual pieces, I mean, all defensible. The big picture is where the problems come in. I thought the trading for that pick swap was defensible. You know, it's a re- it's reasonable to assume that Brooklyn was going to be better than Miami this season. Especially since we didn't know that they were going to acquire Kyle Lowry. So, that's a reasonable assumption. So, trading for that pick swap was not a bad idea. It wasn't a guaranteed. And this is where the problem comes in, right? Because Miami was good last season. So, it was a risky move. It was a gamble. And the gamble didn't work out. That pick swap is not going to convey because Miami is going to have a better record than Brooklyn. Or it looks like it right now. So they in, they chose a first-round pick over what, what was probably second-round picks out there. They chose that swap over second-round picks. Um, so that was a, another flo- another mistake. They traded Oladipo for what could have been second-round picks. And instead, they got Kelly Olynyk and no picks. And they let Kelly Olenek walk, and that pick swap's not going to convey. Fair enough. You know what? They got a trade exception out of this. They used the trade exception to help, to help get them Daniel Tice. Well, that Daniel Tice was just dumped. <laughs> uh, and dumped in a way that reveals that Houston believes it was a mistake to sign him in the offseason and that he could not have gotten more down the line. I disagree with the second part of that. But let's start with the fact that he was dumped for Dennis Schroeder's expiring contract. Houston, again, got no assets out of trading Daniel Tice. So the, they got no assets out of trading Victor Oladipo. They they used the trade exception to trade for Daniel Tice, and they got no assets out of Daniel Tice. So for, from the player part of the Harden trade, they got nothing. They got, oh, they got Dennis Schroeder's expiring contract, who's probably going to walk in the offseason. And I thought it would have been smarter for them to just hold on to Daniel Tice because he has absolutely no market value right now. He's not playing. NBA teams aren't stupid. They're going to use that as a leverage play to not give Houston anything. And that's exactly what happened. They traded him at his rock bottom value and they got nothing for him. And the defense you're hearing, you're hearing it right now. Oh, we were trying to do right by Daniel Tice. We wanted to send him to a team where he would be able to contribute to a winner and he'd be able to play meaningful basketball, and this was not the best place for him, and this buys us some goodwill, and like, all that. Okay? You could have gotten a dra- You could have gotten a draft pick if you decided to wait. Whether that was a second-round pick or a late first. In the future, if, if Daniel Tice was to receive more playing time for Houston, say they move Christian Wood down the line, Daniel Tice slides back back, back into the rotation, like, and he, he's, he actually has market value, you could have gotten a second-round pick. And instead, you got nothing. You 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 jumped at the chance of getting an expiring contract. This is a financial play. Well, the defense here is Solomon. This gives Houston more flexibility. In what way exactly? Because let's say that that additional money, you know, they they don't spend on they don't plan on spending that additional money, right? They they let 
Dennis Schroeder expire. They don't use their mid-level exception this summer. And that money that they saved is legitimate savings. Well, it's not like they're going to get max cap space beyond the 2023 offseason either way. They're only going to get once they're only they're only going to get one summer to have max cap space. And that's 2023. The, and they already had it. This doesn't help them get it again. I think a, a better defense is if they do plan to keep Dennis Schroeder, right? This is giving them the ultimate benefit of the doubt. Let's say they just they plan to keep to sign Dennis Schroeder to a team-friendly deal, a long-term team-friendly deal. That asset is worth more than Daniel Tice. So, theoretically, if they can keep him, and they could they could they could move him for picks, assets, whatever the hell you can get at you know upcoming trade deadlines. The problem is they are probably going to let Dennis Schroeder walk, much like they let Kelly Olynyk walk. They probably are doing this for the expiring salary. Now, if I'm proven wrong and they actually do resign Dennis Schroeder, well, cool. I'll, I'll say I was wrong, but still, I I don't think I am. And that entire string of transactions that started with Karis Levert for Victor Oladipo, I said all that to display what I'm seeing when I look at Houston. It's they're 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 managing these assets poorly. I definitely compared to, you know, his predecessor. His predecessor won every single trade. Like he came out of the gates winning almost every single trade. Traded seventy five cents for a dollar all the time. And this is not happening with the Rockets now. Obviously, front offices are a lot smarter. That's 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 a big defense, right? In in Stone's favor, like. You you can't do that anymore. You can't win that many trades because teams have got have wisened up to what what everything is valued at, right? Like they've wisened up to the value of a star player. They've wisened up to the value of a first round pick. They've wisened up to all that. So perhaps it's not possible to win trades as much as you you could have that long ago. But even se- even so, he was dealt a pretty good hand, right? This is a Rafael Stone. He got James Harden, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, um, uh, Robert Covington, all very, very good role players, and those are players that could net you real, you know, pretty good value. I thought, well, how they how they dealt with Robert Covington that was some of the most in- impressive transactional play I've seen from a front office in the past couple of years. You know, the the flurry of moves that led from Covington to Ariza to Wood, and still ended up getting draft picks for Houston. That was impressive, what Houston did there. So, you know, they maximized the value of Robert Covington. Uh, P.J. Tucker, you know, they maximized the value of P.J. Tucker. I, I, I would say they got a they got a first-round pick that ended up netting them Josh Christopher. Decent asset play. You look at the rest, James Harden clearly fumbled at least part of that trade. We'll and we'll see how the picks go. I'll talk about that in a second. The 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 picks from Brooklyn. We'll see how those age. Um, I still think it was the right package to pick, but the execution was a example of the asset mismanagement I'm talking about. The Eric Gordon part to to BD. They might have they might have mismanaged the asset there too. So I don't know. I I'm, I'm looking at what they're what they're doing. I this idea of uh, Eric Gordon being this role model and providing value to the role players and like uh, not the role players the young players 
Uh, I think it's kind of laughable. I think I'd rather, if I'm an organization, I'm I'm taking picks over quote unquote the professionalism of a player any day of the week. That's I just I just I don't I don't think I think those things are widely overvalued um, by front offices. Now we'll see we'll see what Houston does. Um, I I'm gonna watch to see if they can get anything for Eric Gordon. But if they truly just let Gordon expire. Uh, in 2023, that's just that's they completely mismanaged that asset. Or if they trade him for um something that doesn't amount to anything, same thing. But my point is, when you look at what Houston started with, Harden, Gordon, Tucker, Covington, it's hard to say that they aren't at least slightly underperforming right now in terms of maximizing the value for those assets. Like you look at, for example, Sean Marks in Brooklyn. He took over when Brooklyn had no cap space, no draft picks, very little avenue to acquire good young players. And by the end of it, he had Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, D'Angelo Russell. They were competing for the 8th seed in the Eastern Conference. And then they maneuvered away to get max cap space for Kyrie and, and KD. That's overachieving with the hand that you were dealt. I think Houston is underachieving with the hand that they were dealt. And not trading Gordon at the deadline is kind of a microcosm of that. As far as the Christian Wood part of the trade deadline, um, I actually had no problem with them dealing Christian Wood because it seems like the market is undervaluing him and it seems like his market was not very strong because teams weren't willing to trade for premium centers. You know, teams were going bargain shopping for centers like, uh, the biggest suitor that could have been ha- that was out there for um, Christian Wood was probably Charlotte. Charlotte needed a center more than any other team, and they went out and got Montrez Harrell. So they weren't interested in in paying a premium price for a center. Um, and you look at the rest of the market. I mean, it's no one was seriously considering trading for like Rashawn Holmes or Wood or Turner or Sabonis when he was actually available. So. Uh, I, ha- I I didn't have a problem with them not dealing Wood. I I think uh, I, I I thought they should have dealt Christian Wood all season, and then once it became clear what his market value was, like once I really sat down, analyzed it, you know, it seemed like he was undervalued, and you don't trade undervalued assets. You don't. You, you know, you wait for them to get to reach fair market value, and then trade them, or you don't trade them at all because you can just keep them. And I, I, if I'm Houston, I'd just rather keep Christian Wood than trade him for anything less than what I perceive to be his value, which is, you know, lottery talent or multiple late firsts. And I don't think that was out there for him. So I would have kept him. The David Nwaba thing, I think it was right for them to keep David Nwaba. You know, I think um, David Nwaba, like Tate, his value was at rock bottom. And you don't trade players when their value's at rock bottom. Like Tice, excuse me. Right? Like, those two players were in the same boat. And I don't believe you should, Houston should have traded any any of them. So they didn't trade Nwaba. Uh, I, I think that was the right move. Um, the Tice thing, not so much, obviously. I just talked about that. Jayshon Tate was a player that was talked about as a possible someone that could be moved. Um, I would have seriously explored the market for... Jay Sean Tate, but 
I understand why a front office wouldn't do so. Because you can get him for such a cheap long-term contract. Um, and you could probably still trade him for that same value later on. It's not like there's any rush to trade him. He's 26 years old and he's um, not helping Houston rack up wins or something. So like you could, if, if Houston believes he's not going to be a part of their timeline, they can move him later on and get similar value. Uh, he's going to get, he's probably going to get squeezed by the restricted free agency market. So you probably just hold on to him and let that allow that to happen. And then if you decide then when he's on that new contract that he's not worth um, keeping around, then you can move him and you can probably still get the same value. So yeah, I have no problem with them keeping Tate. Um, it was a little bit more 50, 50 in that case, but I leaned uh, more in the, I would probably have kept Tate camp. Uh, I would have explored offers, but I would have ultimately probably kept him if I'm not getting anything crazy. And I don't think any, any team was offering anything crazy for Tate. Um, you know, if, if a lottery pick was out there and I talked about this on the live show last week, if, if, if a team like New Orleans offered a like, you know, their first round pick this season for Jay Sean Tate, I would have said yes in a heartbeat, but I don't think that was out there. So I, w- I would have said, uh, no one ultimately kept him. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, like how I view their trade deadline, I said it before it's underwhelming. Um, and I guess we can talk now about the Brooklyn trade and how that impacts the Rockets picks moving forward. So they obviously own all these Brooklyn first round picks and swaps. And this the Nets just traded James Harden for Ben Simmons. So it's some it's massive and it's almost certainly going to have an impact on those picks one way or the other. So here's how I view it. Ben Simmons is clearly signed to a long term deal. And if Harden was signed to a long term deal, then this was a clear loss for Brooklyn. Because they traded the better player uh, by far in James Harden for Ben Simmons. And I think he's going to be the better player for a while than Simmons. I don't think, I don't, I'm one of those people who don't believe we don't, James Harden on decline. I think he's hurt. I think he's hurt this season. And I think it's gonna, probably going to take till next season to his 100%. I think people underestimate how much grade two hamstrings affect play the following year. We saw it with Chris Paul. Uh, we saw it with Tony Parker at one point. Like it happens. You go through NBA history. Uh, severe hamstring strains take a while to come back from. And Harden didn't have the same burst, and you could tell it was bothering him. He had tightness er- earlier in the year, so like, I think he's hurt, and I think he's probably going to be better than Simmons for the foreseeable future. He's 32 right now. I think he's going to be better better than him for in, in at least until age 35 or 36. I, I really do. I, I believe he's going to be that good. He's such a good. He's such a smart player. Great passer, uh, very good shooter. Um, and Simmons, as much as I value him more than the open market did, I think Simmons is not going to be better than Harden um, for the next three years or so. But obviously, you can't view this in a vacuum because there was the increasing possibility that James Harden was going to leave the Nets in free agency. So the way I would describe it is the value of those Brooklyn picks increased when that possibility of Harden leaving was out there. And then they went back down to where they were when Brooklyn felt like they could assign Harden long-term to an extension. The the picks are slightly more valuable than where they were when Brooklyn felt like they could have kept Harden long-term. So like this summer, right? Brooklyn had a lot of confidence that they could have signed Harden to a long-term contract extension. And... I would say the picks are more valuable than they were then 
but they are less valuable than they were last week when Harden looked like an increasing flight risk for the Nets. So, uh, long and short of it is it's complicated. They're, they The value of those Brooklyn picks are probably less valuable than where they were uh, last week because it, look, it really looked like Harden was going to leave the Nets and for agency, but they're more valuable than when they just had Harden and believe they can keep Harden long-term because Harden is much better than Ben Simmons. Uh, even if they the, the fit is better, I don't care. <laughs> like I've taken the better player, better basketball player, and Kyrie Irving is flaky, so having Harden is such a, is such a great insurance policy for those games that Kyrie misses. And they, they just lost that. So uh, I would say Br- Brooklyn had to do this deal. They had to do this deal. But they still lost the deal because they lost the better basketball player. And they now have one top 10 player, whereas the Sixers now have two. Here Here's where they, they did get some extra value here. They got Seth Curry, they got Andre Drummond, and they got those two first-round picks that will restock their cupboard because they were lacking those first-round picks. So that's kind of where it is. That's kind of where I stand with uh, about that trade. I hope that all makes sense. That that was a really convoluted way of explaining it, but I couldn't think of a better way to explain it. That's how I view those picks. You know, as far as how those picks are in 2026, 2027, I'm still in God knows territory. Because I have no idea what the hell is going on with Kyrie Irving. Uh, I have no idea how Kevin Durant feels about all this. Seems like he's okay with it, but we'll see if that continues. And yeah, follow me on Twitter at NBA. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Red Nation Hoops. Give us five stars on iTunes if you enjoy the show. And yeah, guys, good night.